0: Inspector, I know your reputation for making brilliant guesses that turn out to be right. Someone told me you claim to dream the answers.
1: Sometime this evening, a tail was murdered in George Yard. That doesn't sound much out of the ordinary. It was the way she was done, Inspector. It was the way that she was done that cries out for a man of your talent. He can foresee the victims. I saw her. I saw her face. Your vision's about me? Most definitely. You know, they used to burn men like you alive. He could sense the suspects. He must be someone with money. And how do you know that? This
0: ain't killing for profit. This is ritual. But for an inspector in charge of the
1: world's most infamous investigation, he's punishing them. I want double shifts within these area. You'll have mayhem on the streets. I believe this was done by someone with a working knowledge of dissection. An educated man, that's preposterous.
2: The last thing he expected... I want you and your friends off the streets until I can sort this thing out.
1: I do trust you.
3: ...was to get close... ...to someone who would be next. Jack there is is not finished.
4: Joining the show today to discuss the 2001 Hughes Brothers film, From Hell, starring Johnny Depp and Heather Graham, is John Reese from Swansea, Wales. Matt Hood's coming to us from Finland. Hello. Brian Young is in Buffalo, New York. Steve Stanley is in Bristol in the UK. Hi. And William Ellis is in Arkansas in the USA. Thank you everybody for joining the show today.
5: Thanks for having us, thanks for doing it.
4: Thank you. And we're gonna get started um, by a discussion that that William will kick us off with um, about the differences uh, in uh, between the um, graphic novel from hell by Eddie Campbell and Alan Moore versus the Hughes Brothers movie Um, to try to give you guys a sense of what the movie is, I would say, loosely based on. So take it away, William Ellis.
6: Thank you. Uh, The movie is really based – it's based on the book, they say, but there are precious little tidbits from the book that are in the movie, the title – most of the characters and a few precious shots here and there from the book are in the movie. Otherwise, it is completely its own story. Uh, they do keep the idea of who the Ripper is, who is, at, who is chasing him, and who some of the primary characters are. But they move it away from being one man's descent into madness rather than turn it into a detective story so that you don't know who the Ripper is until the end of the movie. In the book, you know who the Ripper is from chapter two. And so that is completely different than the book, but the writer actually told, um, the writer of the screenplay and the producer told the writer of the book that this is not the story they're telling. They're telling the story of the detective work, right rather than, as I like to say, one man's descent into madness.
4: And Alan Moore hates the film, doesn't he?
6: <laughs> well, he hates all adaptations of any of his work. I uh, think that's <clears throat> in fact, uh, for this movie and for the next movie, I believe that was League of Extraordinary Gentlemen the, of his, he begrudgingly took the money offered him, but every movie that they've made of his work since then Uh, He has said to give the money to to the artist of the book rather than to him because of uh, his personal protest of any of the work that he's done being turned into into a movie.
4: Okay, so when you said that um, the movie's intention was to portray this more of a detective story where you don't discover who Jack the Ripper is until the very end, they weren't very successful in, in keeping that suspense. Um, I don't
6: think so, either.
4: Yeah. were they? <laughs> no, because, uh, John, um, g- why don't you uh, address uh, that, that whole element yeah. of keeping, keeping the identity of the Ripper a secret until the end?
3: So every shot of the Ripper during the murder scenes, you, know, you don't see his face. It's either you know, his face is in shadow, you see it from behind, or you know, his head is cut off. Um, but then they keep on using Ian Holmes' voice and he's putting on like a whispery rasp but it is obviously him Um, and the filmmakers apparently wanted it to be a murder mystery so in the director's commentary they keep on saying about these red herrings they put in to make you suspect other characters like you're meant to think it was Kidney you're meant to think it was uh, Prince Eddie you're meant to think it was Someone else, you're meant to think that he was Aberline at one point, apparently, but they use Ian Holmes' voice, and it's obviously him. Um, so worst murder mystery ever.
4: And a couple of things about that, um, so they weren't they they failed, um, on so many levels with um, Aberline's ability to astral project and see visions, tell the future, go back to the past, whatever was going on with him. But I guess, John, you're saying that the, that was the the, the director's intention was to, or the screenwriters, whoever, was to kind of use some of those vision sequences um, in a way that might make the, the viewer of the movie suspect that it, it's Aberline doing the killing.
2: Yeah. Right? That's yeah, how but,
4: that's why that that was the vehicle that they they used to to hopefully create a little bit of doubt and go, oh well maybe Aberline's the killer. But that didn't doesn't really work at all, does it?
3: No, yes yeah. so they combined the characters of Aberline and Robert Lees, who was you know the psychic in the in the book and in the whole Royal Conspiracy Theory, um, they combined those by making Abilene Psychic. Uh, they gave Abilene these visions of the murders um, and it's the, you know they wanted the audience to think, oh, is he having visions or has he just done this and he's half remembering it in dreams? Um, and apparently as well, they wanted the visions to be like some of the scenes from the book or reminiscent of some of the um, panels in the book. So, you know, those precious
6: shots from the book that I was talking about.
3: Yeah, it's stylistically closer to the book, his visions are, than a lot of the rest of the film. Um, But some of his visions are actually wrong as well. Um, So, the Bucks Row one, um, in Aberline's vision, it shows Jack the Ripper killing Polly Nichols and then a policeman coming up and finding the body. But then when Averline gets the scene, you've got Cross or Paul there going, oh, well, I found the body on my way to work and I went to get a policeman. So the vision contradicts what the film then shows. It's bizarre.
4: And and then back to um, what William was saying about um, trying to keep it a suspense as to whether Goal is the murderer or not. Um, Johnny Depp's character and i'm going to refer to him as both johnny depp and aberlan because you know it's so johnny depp goes and visits goal on a new on a few different occasions um to discuss his progress in investigating this case and gold does his best to try to steer depp into the right direction they, mainly that he's the one doing it by saying stuff like, oh no, it's not a Jewish horse slaughterman. This guy has mean surgical skills, anatomic knowledge. You gotta be looking for a guy with anatomic knowledge. Johnny Depp would say, hmm, okay. Goes back, comes comes back and visits Goal later with more um, information about the case. And Goal is, again, having to drive home the point. You're looking for an experienced, surgeon who did this you know like a big flashing neon light arrow pointing at his head and it's me it's me it's me To the point where,
1: I, go to ahead the point where he even goes he could um you could even he could even be using a portable and, uh amputation kit just like this one right <laughs> and it shows him his own amputation kit on the side
3: he right. also do stuff to point suspicion away from himself, like he's on about um, how, you know, the killer would need dexterity and skill and stuff, what, what, and, you know, the hand used to commit the murders while he's holding his own hand post-stroke awkwardly because he can't use it. Mm. I wonder if he's trying to put suspicion on um, the other surgeon. Dr. Ferrell. Um, mm. Dr. Yeah, Doctor Faro. He's like, um, oh, he suffers from a surgeon's malady, want of feeling.
5: Yeah, and they want of feeling.
4: Is anything. he referring to the 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 one who wants to puke every time he? No, no, no. Um, the, one one hit the the, the murderer um, stealing organs. <laughs> make the coroner want to throw up. That one or someone else?
3: No, this no is the the
5: other one. one the the um, other one. yeah, the younger surgeon that is. Uh, Looks remarkably like Prince Eddie in the film too. Which right, the amazing, one who the
4: Johnny Depp from coming into the room.
5: Yeah.
2: Oh no,
4: he's resting. He's resting. Oh no, bring him on in. I can take visitors. I don't... Yeah. Um, and then at the end, of course, um, Goal back to trying to telegraph the fact that he is the murderer. So Johnny Depp goes back to visit Goal and says, "Hey, I've I've found out this whole Masonic angle to this whole thing." And at which point goal just lays it all out, just provides Aberline with the full confession, right? So so I mean, you know, like John was saying, the idea that it's not goal from you know scene one is is just preposterous. It leaves really nothing to the to the viewer's imagination. So I I'm surprised that, that the directors um thought that they were creating this big murder mystery.
2: Yeah. But
4: to me it is 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 a um a really tired detective film noir kind of trope about the wounded police officer slash detective or whatever who um, falls for the female lead who happens to be either in the trope the prime suspect or who becomes an eventual victim right it's uh, something that's just repeated in television and police procedural television dramas and in detective movies time and time again of The lead detective character, against his better judgment, falling in love with the main female actress, who usually plays, like I said, a suspect or a victim, and then at the end has to suffer. You know, never it never ends happily ever ever after in those um, types of stories. So to me, that's kind of like the kind of movie they were going for. Um, and they just took like, what, an hour and 15 minutes to even start into that kind of uh, uh, detective film noir trope. They eventually got there. You
5: know, it almost seems like they were lost halfway through it and decided to go in that direction. Mm. You know, it, like you said, it took an hour and 15 minutes for them to get into that. It, it, it was like partway through the film, they're just like, you know, what would be really cool? And he no really yeah, I,
3: I wouldn't be surprised. The film went through a lot of rewrites, apparently, and by the sound of it, they were rewriting well into filming. Um, so yeah, I would not be surprised. One of yeah. the things <laughs>
6: that this one of the things the directors said is that people were surprised that they would be doing this. The historical fiction story like that, but they said that they took it as a uh, story about street violence, which is something that they uh, were familiar with because of growing up where they grew up and uh, the environment they were in. there was street violence quite often, and so that 's how they were treating this was as a street violence story as much as a detective story
4: and I can see that as maybe their 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 best attempt at creating doubt as to who the Ripper is mm-hmm. with the Nichols gang.
2: That's yeah, kind of a key
4: plot. in in that Tabram's murder, it's unclear if they attribute that officially to the Nichols gang. It seems that um, Aberline's character does because he makes some comments about how she was murdered that differed, and so no, 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 Tabram was the Nichols gang murder. Um, but then they, they keep on coming back, but the characters just in general, as, a, as in, in the, the, all of the characters in the movie, um, including Depp and Heather Graham's characters, are so poorly developed that when we see the Nichols gang at the beginning, McQueen and his sidekick, and then maybe they come back later, and then and but and then later on, then Johnny Depp at the end of the movie is kind of being trailed by someone after he gets the letter from Mary Kelly at her seaside cottage with the children. It's unclear if the Nick if that guy. Is, apparently, it turns out it, it may have been Special Branch he was following, but it's yeah, unclear.
5: Yeah, that I, was Special Branch, but he confused
4: the hell out of That's what it. I got
6: out of it. Huh. That's what I got out of it—that it was special branch following yeah.
4: him. Yeah, um, but uh, so so confusing um, as to who's who, and and because no one is, no no one has any established character. So so, but but I agree that that maybe that street element, the Nichols gang thing. Well, that would have been probably a better movie if they would have <laughs> contrasted the Nichols the suspicion on the Nichols gang versus the royal conspiracy as being the perpetrators as opposed to, oh, did did Kidney do it? Or did Aberline do it? Or, you know, all these other people. Just make it a clear cut, you know, Simon Wood type of a plot. Is it totally random? There is no Ripper? Or is it, you know, some big, overblown conspiracy so um but yeah they fail if that you know if that's I
6: think they dip pretty liberally from the Michael Caine miniseries hmm. uh in, in as far as like um the Johnny Depp character Aberlene go into gold to, Gull to, to uh, talk about the case about uh things like making it a murder mystery but Really, honestly, I think the miniseries with Michael Caine did a much better job of sowing the seeds of doubt of who the Ripper actually was than this movie ever did. Mm-hmm.
0: I'd yeah. say it, it owes more to the Michael Caine series than it does to the From Hell book.
6: Oh, I agree completely.
3: I think there's also inspiration uh, from Murder by Decree there as well. Um, yeah. Like the scenes in the asylum. um it's as if, yeah, they, they've taken little elements from all the royal conspiracy themes to put in, not retaking much from the book other than a couple of lines, a couple of shots, a couple of moments yeah. like the obelisk. And mm-hmm.
0: yeah. I mean, t- strangely enough to me, the book is about Supernatural London, more than The Ripper, but <laughs> that's just my take on it.
6: We... That definitely is a part of the book. It, uh, chapter, what was it? Was it four, I believe, It is talking all about the history and how it feeds into this mystic view that Skull has of London.
0: It's just one element. The whole Ripper thing is just one element in the the ongoing London thing. Exactly. You can't do that in a film. It'd be
6: difficult.
4: (laughs) I want to go back and touch on the, just the, um, and um, I don't want to, I want to talk about this more as a movie, as we've been doing, than than to necessarily nitpick it for historical inaccuracies with the actual events of the Whitechapel murders, you know? Because we could be here all day and we would be, like John Reese would say, those guys. (laughs) (laughs) Nitpick the thing to death for historical inaccuracies. We'll touch on a couple that might. But but just like I want to reemphasize what I think as far as just the utter lack of character development and these these characters so um the only um thing we discover about the aberline character and we learned this pretty early on like maybe it's like his second vision he has or something is that um he was at one time married and his wife was pregnant okay so but and now as a viewer we know that he's all by himself in an opium den so something must have gone horribly wrong with that situation. So, the viewer is smart enough to know oh, that must be one of the reasons why Aberline is so damaged. Something went wrong with his beatific past with, involving his wife and this child, right? Oh, yeah, okay, so an hour and a half later, he tells Mary Kelly that his wife died in childbirth. We already knew that because we saw that vision way back at the beginning of the movie, but now Mary Kelly knows that, and that's all we learn of Aberline's backstory at at all, from like the whole movie, right? So that's terrible. Um, And and that's the most we have of anyone in the whole movie's backstory, right? So we have Mary Kelly's character, and the only thing we know of her backstory um, is, from the little photograph of her as a little girl taken in Ireland. I left, I came here when I was eight years old after my mother died. And that's it. Okay, so that's all we ever learn of Mary Kelly's backstory. Now, the skeptical ripperologists could think to themselves, oh, she's probably lying about all of that, you know. But um, nevertheless, that's all we learn about. Mary Kelly's backstory. So these are our two main characters. And that's all we know about them as characters, right? It's terrible. Um, and, then, and then it just goes way downhill from there where the sisterhood of, of unfortunates or whatever they want to call themselves. Um, and that gets into another pet peeve of mine that I'll bring up are so um hollow and nothing and like i couldn't tell which which um unfortunate as they like to repeatedly call themselves um were um which victims like you i didn't know who was supposed to be who until they died and then it was like oh that looks like bucks Row she's in front of the gate so that must have been Polly nichols I wouldn't have known until, you know, um, for the longest time, I thought the, the Liz Stride character was Catherine Eddowes, just because of the kind of vague similarity in their appearance. But then, no, it turns out that the blonde woman is Catherine Eddowes. Um, and so, I mean, the Tabram character and the Nichols character, I think, are both dispatched within the first 12 minutes of the movie. Um And that's after, and you correct me if I'm wrong, John, um, after we get a vision scene of Johnny Depp's, where he foresees all of their murders.
3: Yes, the the first Uh, vision he has when we first meet Abilene, I don't think he foresees them all, but he foresees, because he sees, um, he sees um, the the objects at Chapman's feet, he sees the graffiti and I think he sees the, the, the bed, something in Miller's court, the bed in Miller's court. Um, just a flash of it. And there's also other things he sees as well um, in there. So it's like, it's a, he's just had like a quick rundown of all the murders, which would be handy for someone trying to solve them, you know, but.
0: I suppose from the, from the plot point of view, they don't actually matter as individuals. It's only Kelly matters to the plot. Yeah, it's very much Mary and the girls, isn't it? Yeah, they're they're the supporting chorus. Hmm.
4: Right. And that's even driven uh, even further home when they introduce the French-slash-Belgian girl at the end of the movie, whose really sole purpose... And Mary Kelly flat-out says it. Yeah. You know, you cannot leave my room. You're here it's not safe outside you cannot leave my room well because she needs a dead body you know so she can yeah. hide i mean so really it's just re- they're just reduced to that i mean at the towards the end with the french group
3: the, terrible. The, the exception seems to be liz stride who does get a bit of development as this aggressive, aggressive. Alcoholic, sexually exploitative lesbian um
4: yeah that no one seems to like, even her friends don't like her. I mean, so I don't, yeah, and I don't understand what yeah. the point was um, to um, making that abrasive lesbian type out of Liz Stride. Um,
3: I, i wonder if that's like a reference to the book where Mary Kelly is bisexual at least, because there's a pornographic scene in the book where she tries to get Barnett to have a free sum with this girl, Julie or Julia, and uh, I wonder if it's a reference to that. Mm-hmm. And they so you stride instead because you can't have the leading lady
1: as bi or lesbian. I don't know. From what I lesbian, remember, no, I Matt, uh, from what I remember, I seem to recall seeing an interview with the Hughes brothers where they were talking about why they took the movie and why it was offered to them. And then referring to the films they've made in the past, like the film they made before from hell was a pseudo documentary called American Pimp. And they said, we've learned in our past filmmaking about street work, uh, sex workers, street walkers. And their romantic relationships tend to be with each other or with other women that rather than with men. And we wanted to put that in the movie for realism because we know that's true now. So why wouldn't it have been true a hundred odd years ago? And...
4: and that's what I thought they might have been trying to do. But the fact that all of her, dis- all of her friends were disgusted by her mm. being, mm. um, I could, uh, I mean, I thought, that oh, it might they might be trying to get a a little bit of a sim symp- of sympathy vote um, out of the audience for Liz, um, being a lesbian in such where apparently it was just completely shunned, even by her friends, but then they almost treated it like she was like mentally ill, right? I mean, her her abrasiveness and you know like when like she and this is only in like two scenes because that's all they afford any of these other women it's basically two scenes so she um like force kisses um one of the friends like in front of the 10 bells or something and that causes her to say oh get away from me go away i don't want to see you tonight and she walks off And then the second one is when she tries to assault the French girl inside of Mary Kelly's room. So the woman is just portrayed as this completely unstable, you know, person. So it's like, I don't know.
1: It's not just Liz, though, because in the earlier scene where Liz does sort of force herself onto Polly, um, just before um, she does that, Annie Chapman takes, says is one for the Nichols boys and one for me and takes Polly's money and wanders off. So they're showing them to be kind of predatory on each other as much as friends. They're kind of stuck together by circumstance rather than actual friendship and they don't, like you say, they don't give enough time to explore any, anything. They just set it out there. This is how they are and they stay together because
3: Yeah, and they
5: also Oh, go ahead, John
3: they do reference in the commentary um, why they had the, the whole lesbian thing in there as trying to be another exploration of the sexual hypocrisy and double standard at the time um, so you know the, the prostitutes are you know disgusting they're what's wrong with the world but you know the men are quite happy to use them and the upper class men are happy to prey on women in Whitechapel and slum it you know um and they wanted to show that it was a similar thing with Liz Stride, the sexual hypocrisy, she's disgusting, she's what's wrong with the world. It just doesn't come across like that to me, but.
4: Yeah, and if it's like what Matt was saying um, that, and I agree with their point that, um, you know, if you do have this sisterhood of prostitutes or whatever, you know, that lesbianism probably isn't that uncommon. Now, whether it would have been common in Victorian times or not, I'm not so sure, but for the sake of argument, let's say it, it wasn't that uncommon, and they could portray that, that would have been fine, but then to make all of her friends disgusted by her lesbianism. It,
5: not necessarily. Yeah. But that's but the problem. I that. was,
4: it made it worse for Liz, her circumstance.
5: I, I didn't like that you couldn't tell whether they were disgusted or not. I mean, right before she, you know, force kisses Polly and she tells her she's disgusting, the scene before that, you know, Polly's eating out of her hands in this seductive, seductively sexual way, Um, even later on in the film when the French girl refuses her advances, they're making out the scene earlier. So, it, it's just a weird, like, they didn't know which direction to go with that.
4: Yeah. Um, and maybe like, so that, so, you know, John brought that up as like the only example of any kind of character development for any of the victims, um, outside of Mary Kelly's, obviously. Um, and it, and it was just really just kind of awkward and, and, and terrible and, and almost like, um, insulting, you know?
5: Yeah, Yeah, but there's one thing about it that I actually appreciated that I think a lot of lesser filmmakers and I like the Hughes Brothers. Uh, I don't like this film per se, but I do like their other work. And I think a lot of lesser filmmakers may have tried to throw in a lesbian thing to be titillating. And they certainly did not do that with it. So yeah, it was stupid and it was awkward, but I kind of liked that about it, that it wasn't meant as a, as a titillation.
4: I wasn't very, um, impressed with like the screenwriting. Um, I, I was, I was, um, and the, the screenwriters apparently like before this movie, the biggest claim to fame of one of the screenwriters was writing Mad Max beyond Thunderdome. And the other one was a screenwriter for that David Duchovny Aquarius movie, uh TV show or something. I never watched it. Um and I don't even know if it was good enough to make it over to the to the to the UK but, um but but um and this is where some of us might disagree. I thought it was terrible screenwriting and I'll just give you a couple of examples. So um one of my biggest pet peeves that, I mean, it just kept bothering me throughout the whole movie is how the women would refer to themselves as unfortunate. Like, oh, I'm just an unfortunate. Or um, one of, I think it was Polly Nichols's lines um, when she was first approached by Netley in, in, in the, the cab was to say, um, I might be an unfortunate, but I'm not a blooming idiot. And so, this identification of themselves as unfortunates, quote unquote, the constant references to themselves as being unfortunates, the um, and this might be getting into the historical nitpicking that I said that we were going to try to avoid earlier, um, but then. Um the, and there's several scenes where they refer to themselves as unfortunates. Um in quotes, um the police refer to them as unfortunates. Um in the Masonic Hall when Prince Eddie is getting inducted into the Freemasonry, um, Lord Halsham is speaking to Charles Warren and says, you know, how did Johnny Depp find out about the, the unfortunate and her child? So there's almost like this, that was the word unfortunate that's that was the word that they were referred to they referred to that by the police they were referred to that by everyone on the street and they referred to themselves as unfortunates
0: what's i think they got out? that from the various what's books she yeah. referred to herself as a widow and an unfortunate hmm? i seem to remember go ahead who what's that there was a witness i can't remember who referred to herself as a widow and an unfortunate this was in, a term used the in that way
4: so so it was common for them
3: to refer to well, themselves kind of,
0: comments of it i can remember i can't remember who it was at one of the inquests someone said i am a widow and unfortunate is that context
3: dependent though because you know an inquest is a formal occasion
0: no but it does show of... the term is in use and everybody understood mm-hmm. what was meant by it
1: yeah. I took in the film the use of it with uh there was sarcasm involved. Certainly with Mary Kelly later on when she's like Britain oh, yeah. doesn't have any prostitutes, just a series of very unful- unlucky women or something. And she refers to herself as an unfortunate there. And then with Dark Annie, I think she was like, I might be a bloody unfortunate but I'm not a blooming idiot, sort of like pulled it up for one, like, it's got bells on. Like she didn't really mean that she's an unfortunate. She's just using the term that's Commonly known because right, but it
4: does kind of put them in. It does, it. I don't want to bring up the whole prostitute, not prostitute, or casual prostitute thing when she couldn't get work sewing or as a maid or whatever. But for them to identify as themselves as unfortunates opens up kind of a whole can of worms.
2: Mm.
4: Um, and in, and, and, um, in that they it was an almost an occupation. You know, um, like they could say that they were a plumber or something, as a, you know, uh, but in this case, they're saying that they're unfortunates, as if that it was a um, synonym of prostitute.
5: Yeah. And
4: rather than just a, something you would say in polite society or in the news, in the an press. Accepted or an euphemism.
5: euphemism. Yeah. Huh? An accepted euphemism. Mm hmm. This is the reason I, when I decided to re-watch the film, I rewatched it twice, unfortunately. No pun intended. <laughs> um, one, because, you know, I wanted to re-watch it again and, you know, go through my complaints and, and my positive and negative views of it. And after it was done, I said, tomorrow I'm going to watch it again before the show, trying to take uh, my Ripperology glasses off. Mm-hmm. I want to go in there pretending I know nothing about the history, nothing about the story. Um, then if you watch it that way, you can forgive the whole unfortunate thing because it is obvious that they're kind of using that as their classification as street workers. If you don't know anything about the story, you, you do think that they're professional prostitutes, people who are no ripperology, know the true story. No, they're not. So it's right. st- but this is a movie that wasn't made for ripperologists. It was made for the general public.
4: Right. I was bringing it up more as that. an example of what I felt was bad screenwriting.
5: Mm-hmm. Oh, I agree. like um, and, they and re- re- to the re- screenwriting of that.
4: Just the repetition <clears> of <throat> them calling yeah. themselves an unfortunate, the police calling them that, the Masonic people, you know.
5: Well, you got to remember, there's also like four or five times where they refer to them by pretty crass um slang terms as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah
3: that's you've got I've never
5: heard that. Yeah one. that's an American one. fangtails an American one, which yeah. I thought was odd that they used.
4: And when and then when um I forget which character it is, um after Johnny Depp forms his crush on Heather Graham, someone refers to Mary Kelly as a whore or something and Johnny Depp, you know, stands up out of his chair and wants to fight the guy so it's like
3: impressive copper isn't it or is it or
1: i think it might have been godly in the carriage because he says something about mary kelly and being a whore and johnny depp reacts and then he's like oh a rose by any other name is that it right right Um, right Yes. yeah can can i mention something totally unwhore
5: related but we're talking about the actual screenwriting Mm mm-hmm one of the one of the few really redeeming things about this film, I thought, was Robbie Coltrane's performance. I think I agree he's completely. Brilliant, I agree. but I think some of the dialogue they gave him is so fucking bad. I don't know how he got it out. Made me like him.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: And I'll give you an example. <laughs> <laughs>
2: okay,
4: so we we establish uh, and it repeats itself throughout the mini movie that he's a Shakespeare buff. And so um, the first time we're aware of this, I think, and then when it's made completely obvious is when they're in the precinct room and um, and uh, Aberline is drawing the Masonic star on the map or whatever, at that point. On comp- for the increased beats. And that's when um, Godly uh, says, what John? to the troops behind him
3: once more to the breach dear friends
4: once more to the breach dear friends and the and then you get this comedic reaction shot of the bobbies not getting the reference and so he has to turn around and say just like that's what it means wah, wah.
3: well i've actually done something similar in real life <laughs> I've I, <laughs> I've sat in the break room in work um, with with my colleagues, and we wrote to go back. And I said, and I have said once more to the breach, dear friends. And they just looked at me as like, what does that mean? So uh, I've done that. I've <laughs> <hasn't>
0: everyone. <laughs>
4: <laughs> so that and that comes back um, a few times, more times in the movie. Um, oh, like there's oh, like in the Gulston Street graffito scene. Well, he was—he's not Shakespeare, you know. Yeah. I mean, the writer of the uh, graffito. Uh, so. Uh,
3: it's almost as if someone's trying to make a caricature of me with Godley, really. <laughs>
4: um, so um, another example of what I think is is poor uh, screenwriting on this one is um, the first time that um, Aberline meets Mary Kelly, which is at the funeral of either Tabram or Nichols, one of the two, I can't tell them apart. Um, When, um, I mean, Depp is established pretty early on in the movie as being like a terrible detective. Um, (laughs) Were it not for his visions, he would not have solved this case. No way would he have solved this case. Um, Because he, um, Mary Kelly has to inform um, Aberline that uh, mcqueen they're like talking they're talking about mcqueen blackmailing them he's like who's mcqueen don't you know who mcqueen is he's the head of the Nichols gang no i had no idea and then uh, mary kelly um says this line to him surely a strong handsome man like you can do anything you put your mind to which is a line that must have been in a good two hundred movies prior to. I mean, just a terrible, poor, poorly written. Just really, are we gonna? So she's gonna say that. If cliche? you look up cliche
3: in a dictionary, that line would be there. Yeah. Um,
4: so that was just terrible. Um, and let's see here. Um, I have written down here bad writing all around.
6: Um, Talking about that funeral scene, I remember the directors lamenting over the fact that uh, a lot of the men did not take their hats off as the funeral procession went past and they said that that was a mistake that they had made. And I said to myself, if you think that's the worst mistake y'all have made, (laughs) (laughs) then you need to rewatch your movie.
4: (laughs) Yeah. And then just one more example of what I think is really terrible screenwriting is when after their um, I believe the second date is when he takes her to the gardens outside of, after they finish visiting um, Annie Crook at Marley Bone Workhouse, which has its own set of problems. Um, well, uh, they uh, They go out to the garden and then they go into the art gallery because he wants to show Mary Kelly the portrait of Prince Eddie. Um, but Right up at the top of the stairs, first she's encountered the big portrait of Queen Victoria. At which point, Mary Kelly says, upon seeing this portrait of Queen Victoria, she has cold eyes like someone is walking over my grave. <laughs> I mean, terrible.
1: Was <laughs> uh. it Winston Davies?
4: <laughs> <laughs> so, um,. So yeah, I just thought this, that's just, and, and you know, like Brian was saying, okay, take it out of the context of it, of it being a movie that would appeal to anyone who's, who's at all interested in the Whitechapel murders. Now, I know there are some who like this movie. I know one person specifically who has said that he really enjoys this movie. And I, I, I'm envious of, of his ability to really enjoy this movie yet at the same time be a Ripperologist. I wish I could be not as cynical and terrible and hateful as that. Um, And I agree that um, Robbie Coltrane's character was really well acted. And I believe that Ian Holm was great. He gave it his all
5: in this one for whatever
4: reason. And maybe he just approaches every role like that.
5: I was... uh... Yeah, I'm sorry to cut you off. I was going to say, other than Robbie Coltrane, Ian Holm, um, I don't hate the movie like a lot of people do. I don't like it. I don't love it. All the flaws we've mentioned I see are there. But I still find it a fairly entertaining film to watch because of Ian Holm. Um, There's a couple scenes with Ian Holm that are fantastic. uh, And Robbie Coltrane. Mm -hmm. And it's a boxing analogy that I don't know how many people here like boxing. I know Jonathan, you do, but you know, they say a fighter fights up to his class. If he's fighting a great fighter, he fights better than he does when he's fighting a bum. Johnny Depp's accent in the scenes with Ian Holm is better than it is in any other scenes because he's acting
3: up to a level.
4: That could be true. Yeah. I think Johnny Um, Depp's
3: acting is better in those scenes as well. Yes. Yeah. Those are his best scenes actually. Um, if only in yeah.
4: home was in every scene in the entire <laughs> movie.
6: Yeah. Him and Coltrane. <laughs> yeah.
2: And yeah, I yeah. want to
4: give a courtesy shout out to Netley. Um, I'm not sure the actor who played him, but I thought his character would have been third in the three best characters in the movie. By, um,
5: far. By far.
4: Yeah. And and John Reed that's f- the first of Go ahead. Go ahead.
6: I was just going to say, I'm talking about that actor that played Netley. That's the first of the Alan Moore movies he did. He was also in the second one, uh, the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, where he plays Jekyll and Hyde.
4: And is he good in that?
6: He's decent. Passable. He's passable.
3: Um, uh, Jason Fleming. And um, Jason Fleming. Yeah.
0: Yes. Um, he's he's been in Jamestown. That's where I know him from.
3: See, when
4: I was watching it this morning, um, and it was the first time I had seen the movie in probably 15 years. I mean, it's been a long time. Um, he reminded me of um, Reek um, from Game of Thrones. The, um, yeah. yeah, was kidnapped by Ramsay Bolton. Um, And there's a scene in particular where he, I mean, right off the bat, they treat Nedley terribly because like his first scene, they're threatening to cut off his head unless he gets the prince home safely. Well, why would you have to threaten to slit the guy's throat just to ensure that he gets home safely? But they're treating him terribly from the very beginning. And then there's a, a scene later on where they have him sitting in a room and he's like shaking in fear. And I was like, oh, that's that's like um, the um, character from Game of Thrones, Reed, um, who gets just psychologically to- tortured so much. He's a shell of a man. So I thought that Netley was a pretty good um, character. And then I'm glad that when I think the last time we see Nutley is when he crashes the coach, um, allowing uh, Johnny Depp to escape out the top which is the door it's turned over sideways and run off in order to try to save mary kelly in time right um but we don't know if he lives or dies so um so that's a good thing john assumes that he dies in that scene because the real netley dies in an accident um in his coach
6: um yeah that's what i figured too
4: yeah but what we've seen john um about um now because i i um i f- thought that netley's character was portrayed like he was terrorized and tortured in fear and in fear all except for i will give him the one, one scene the one it's with the exception of the one scene from dutchfield's yard where he yells to israel schwartz what are you fucking looking at Lipsky or whatever Other than that, Nutley's character to me is portrayed as this like wounded, you know, um, slave almost type of a character. But you were saying that that wasn't their intention?
3: Yeah, apparently. um, So in in the novel, from what I remember, he wanted to be a Freemason. He wanted to be one of these powerful men, didn't he? Apparently, Mm. they wanted him to be sexually motivated in the film. But it just doesn't come across like that. At all to me, Um, they they were going to have the scene where you know he is um, self abusing himself during one of the murders, but that was cut out for some reason. Um, But I wonder why in the comic. Yeah, no, Um, uh, yeah. But Netley, great character. There is another scene where you think he's quite complicit. I I thought he's quite complicit, and that's before the Chapman murder, where he picks her up in the coach Mm -hmm. with the grapes. He seemed very complicit there um, as well. I
5: think the Hughes brothers, again, are decent filmmakers and were able to kind of. It was confusing and it didn't work too well. I don't even think he seemed complicit in the Lipsky thing. I think it seemed like he was terrified, and that's and, why. He yeah,
2: that. yeah, yeah.
5: And I, he was great, you know, picking her up and taking her. But the moment he passed her off and he realized what he'd done, he had he a breakdown again. Yeah. So it's almost like he's being manipulated. He doesn't want to be, but he can't control himself. And I thought they kind of pulled that off, but not as successfully as they could have.
3: So finally, completely off-topic fact, but the actor who plays Netly, um was uh, in a relationship with Cersei Lannister for 10 years. Just to...
4: Really? Yeah, well, there you
3: go. That's what I just discovered on Wikipedia while we're looking at the actor.
4: So. Yeah. <laughs> um one of the scenes with Natalie um and this is um immediately following the scene where she's uh, Dark Annie I guess it was says um I may be an unfortunate but I'm not a bumbling idiot. And then Netley's able to successfully lure her down the passage. Okay, there's a high-paying customer down here. Now just go down this dark alley. No, keep going. Keep going. He's down there. Just keep going. And she just trots on being a blooming idiot. You know, he's able to lure her back into the the backyard of Hanbury Street, apparently, um, to her death. So in that scene, Netley's kind of, more of a conspirator
6: an active co-conspirator
4: yeah um in in her murder
5: until it happens and then he has the fear again
4: right weird character they don't develop him
5: of course very much i was gonna say as compared to everybody else
3: (laughs) Uh, Um, as a as an accomplice and stuff like that it's you know it it it's one thing, you know, getting to the stage of getting them there, but when something like that happens and you see it happens, it could change something for the accomplice. And that's when as well, it's after that is when he seems uncertain and scared in future. future.
0: Yeah,
5: but and um, this is where the film fails on a big level, is that you as an audience don't know why he's complicit and then having a break. <laughs> Is he being blackmailed? Is is he a willing participant? Does he want to be part of the group? You don't know. They don't yeah. explain it, and that's the big failure.
1: Yeah. I yeah. wonder if we're supposed to assume that sort of Ben Kidney's been at him in the past, sort of like make sure you get the prince so safe from such and such a function because if you don't, you're heads on it. There's Fenians out there; they're gunning for him. And so he comes up behind him at Cleveland Street, does the old business again, and are we supposed to assume that maybe he's thinking that William Gull's going to do the same thing? or?
3: Yeah, there, there, there does seem to be some history between Kidney and Natalie during that first scene, doesn't there, as if yeah. they, they've met before.
5: You know, so, as, a, as a history guy, not as the common viewer of the show, of the movie, I should say, but as a history guy, I almost, in the Somewhere in the back of my head, especially with the Cleveland Street thing, it was like, "Are they trying to say Netley was involved in the Cleveland Street, you know, scandal, and the cops know it, and they're forcing him to be part of this?" In the book,
6: him. he uh, he was the driver for Prince Eddie that would get him back and forth from the palace to Cleveland Street. So,
5: yeah, but so is Netley. Involved, Got that from you know, but but th- no one, the, the common viewer, isn't going to know what the fuck the Cleveland Street even I means. Mean.
4: And they, you know, historical inaccuracy of it being like half a block away from where they're um, doing their laundry in the in the middle of uh, Dorset Street. Um, so Cleveland Street being, you know.
5: That's well, where you should go next. Um,
4: right there in the middle of Sporkers. Yeah, well, before we go there,
5: yeah. I
4: wanted to uh, go. Uh, uh, John had mentioned um, that they edited out uh, a scene with Netley pleasuring himself, you know, getting sexual gratification from the murders or they didn't use it the book them. or whatever. They, they,
3: they wanted a scene with him. Um,
1: so, there, yeah. is, there is a deleted scene of him sitting in his lodgings with a saucy photo of ah. uh, pleasuring ah. himself, as it were. And then they. they I don't know whether they, he notices a clock or something, but he knows he's got to hurry up and then just sort of chucks it down, pulls his trousers up and legs it out the door. So presuming just as goals turning up, but I think he's trying to get himself
6: I also in think a better uh, headspace. I think with that deleted scene, one of the things that they were uh, going for is that uh, Netley was impotent and that he, he wasn't able to finish his business, no matter how hard he tried um talking about the uh, treatment in netley i really think that that's one of the things they did get from the book because the only interaction netley has with anybody in the book is with gull and gull is pretty mean to him throughout the entire book
5: yes and but you know that's the way it was in the michael caine documentary too um that's true he was always treated like shit like you said I think they took more from the Michael Caine miniseries than they did from From Hell and what I pisses me off think that they
6: uh, dipped pretty liberally from a whole bunch of different places. oh yeah but, what, but the Kane one is uh, that more, where they went most to
5: what disappointed me more than anything about them actually I love the graphic novel
6: oh I loved it too
5: again yeah. I think it's historically bullshit but so what But what pissed me off about them actually dipping in and taking things from the novel, which I think they should have done more of, what they did take was meaningless. Mm -hmm. You know, the scene of the guy with the prostitute, oh, no, it's in when it's in. You know, that's directly Mm -hmm. from the book, but it's a throwaway scene. That's one of the things you're going to take. Why?
6: The scene of the coach going across London Bridge is one that they got from the book. Uh, The scene of the light coming through the keyhole. Is one of the things they got from the book, but literally, there's just so little of the book in the movie that they're barely able to get away with calling it uh, the same title, "From Hell."
4: I wanted to uh, talk real quick about um, the grapes, and the how how the grape stalk and the grapes uh, element plays in the movie, and how and this is back to um, the filmmaker's choice. Of what to leave in and take out, um, where um, apparently um, in the movie, um, because of poor editing and poor decision making, I guess um, what suggested is that the um, just the mere fact of a grape stalk laying on the ground in the East End is enough evidence to point to uh, upper crust person um, being in the area or you know because you know grapes apparently all you know don't tell matthew packer that grapes <laughs> were very expensive and unaffordable um but john was saying um earlier off podcast of another reason a deleted reason why um they were going to, to go with the grapes thing and maybe this is a, a, an element in the graphic novel as well
3: yeah this so this sounds like utter bullshit to me, but according to the screenwriter, who just spent the entire director's commentary talking utter shit, um, they originally wanted the grapes to be injected with laudanum. Um, mm, that
6: comes from the book, actually.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It okay, yeah, comes from the book. Um, and it was going for the theme as well where they they have, like, Doing some of the visions, they have the grapes and stems as arteries and stuff like that, and it's all arty-farty. But according to the screenwriter, the film wouldn't be allowed to be released in England if they had the grapes injected with laudanum, because the idea of injecting grapes with something is copyrighted in England. Yeah, I've heard that somewhere let me put my jaw back. Yeah, yeah, So he said, in England, you can copyright a concept, which you can't I, do in America. I would so think... We couldn't release the film in England if we did this, so we had to have them being given a drink with laudanum rather than being injected. And I was, what?
5: Yeah, I see, I had heard that they couldn't put the scene in there because England censors wouldn't allow them to show...
3: The I great- was...
5: Injected with something because it could give ideas to.
3: Well, I I was wondering that. Because, that's more believable. Yeah, because we did have that. Um, Supermarket. These were yeah supermarkets, where people were putting injecting stuff into canisters as a baby food and stuff.
5: Yeah, yeah, that that's what that's what I had heard that they yeah. couldn't do that. That
3: makes more sense than the copyright idea. Um, so the
4: screenwriter said that it was because someone had copyrighted the the idea of using grapes as a way to administer poison
3: yeah injecting them with a poison rather
4: than saying the truth that what you guys would assume is that yeah. it wouldn't have gotten past the sensors because of yeah. safety okay. reasons spicy
0: thing. yeah
5: in which it might not have even gotten past the sensors in america by the way um well we've our or... own
4: similar scares with um, yeah. yeah, food tampering and stuff and the tylenol Thailand. Tylenol remember
5: that one, Jonathan?
4: Yeah. Um, but so um they chose to leave the grapes in the problem with this whole thing in the movie is that they then chose to leave the idea of the grapes and the grape stalks underneath all of the victims in the movie.
2: Hmm.
4: But take but but Remove even after they had to remove their purpose.
5: Well, because they use. The Decide that
4: only rich people could afford grapes, and so that's suspicious.
5: Which they took from the Michael Caine miniseries.
4: Which,
3: which
0: is, just is the women a luxury that they could never have? Isn't it? It's a temptation.
3: Mm-hmm. A sold them in his on.
0: You know, um, the um, modern equivalent would be of offering them a Waitrose carrier bag. Yeah. Um, but
4: we, but we know that you could buy grapes right across the street from Duckfield's Yard.
2: Yeah. Um, the whole, the whole. Maybe thing. they were
4: too expensive for unfortunates, um, yeah. but um, you know, he was able That's to keep in business.
0: Cross, I think.
4: Huh?
0: That, that, I think that's the idea they want to put across. They're so poor and unfortunate, they'd never have a grape unless a rich man tempts them with one. Yeah. I mean, Forget but but then, the the idea.
4: Then, so then the, yeah. the way the movie treats this is that Johnny Depp says, oh, it has to be someone of the upper crust. And then I think it's yeah. Warren who says, um, oh, it could be a successful Jewish horse slaughterer. They I love when have enough money I, I to love when afford grapes. grapes. No one could
5: afford grapes.
4: So only Jews can afford grapes. Uh, it
5: also other than rich
3: people go look at the Jews. The yeah. only bad moment from Ian Holm in the entire film where he's like, Oh, grapes, yes. They just gobble them up. Are they absolutely- mm-hmm.
5: However, can I do can I say this that um, not only as a film fan but a fat guy, those grapes looked fucking awesome that he gave any jam. <laughs> those were the best-looking grapes I've ever seen. I'd have probably gone in the carriage with them for those grapes.
3: They were probably wax. Yeah.
4: So one of the That's things a, I think they failed to... One of the things that, going back to the, uh, um, Jew, the Jews might be able to afford grapes, one of the things that I think they failed to establish in the movie that they should have spent more time on is the Jewish question. Um, because they keep on bringing it up, um, as far as, oh, you know, no, 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 blame the Jews, blame the Jews, blame the Jews. But then the only Jew that really the movie even shows is um, um, is Schwartz, I think.
3: There are, um, there are a couple more, because just after the Chapman murder, it shows like a pogrom in the middle of Whitechapel. Yeah. With all these people burning down Jewish shops, and you see these terrified-looking Jewish people in the windows and stuff.
4: Yeah, and they don't really establish that. And I guess the, the only the only way we know that Israel Schwartz is Jewish is because they made the character have the Orthodox curls. I I have made.
5: heard, and I don't know if it's true, but I have actually heard that there was more um, talk about Jews in the film, and uh, studio executives were kind of like, eh, "It's like, getting a little anti-Semitic. Uh, you might want to."
4: Or you know they saw that no the, you know you, your movie's already two hours long please you have to cut something and so they kept in you know
0: it happens lesbian
4: stuff instead of uh, you know focusing Socially on significant it
5: stuff. stuff yeah.
4: Um, Another thing that would've made this movie better um, is if they would've spent more time, and again, this goes back to the whole failure of character development, spending more time on the villains and their motivation, because at the end of the movie, when Goal, when, when you know, all it takes is for Aberline, you know, goal has been trying to tell Aberline he did it throughout the entire movie. But then, once Aberline um, suddenly all on his own, or because of his visions, you know, which is a whole nother problem, um he believes that Goal might be involved. He has an inkling. He's not sure. I don't think. That's when Goal lays it up, just spills his beans and confesses to Aberline. Um, I. But the motivation is kind of confused, and like, Depp says. You know, it's because they ruined, or maybe this is what Ian Holmes said they ruined my life's project, or something like that. And I don't know, it's really kind of confusing as to why right. Charles God. Warren, Lord Him, Hal, Halsome or whatever his name is, George Lusk, I think, is in, in the Freemason scene as well. Yes. Up on the balcony with them. We don't know what his involvement is. Uh, and and he doesn't factor into the kidney being delivered at all in the movie so that's kind of dropped and they should have spent more time uh, another scene or two on the motiva- what's motivating these characters they couldn't you
5: know? and i'll tell you why they couldn't because they're going with the royal conspiracy and the actual motivation is he had a baby with a catholic oh. And the queen wants they're killed to protect the the crown. So we're going to get the Freemasons to do this for the crown because it's so fucking stupid an idea. If you spent any more time explaining that the audience would be like, what? You make it a little more mysterious. You can get away with it. If you actually tell what the plot is, because it's so horrible.
4: Well, it would have been much better um, if they would have taken that anti-Catholic you know um you know are you know no she you know you can't have an illegitimate baby can't can't marry you know throw a little bit of politics in it um they tried to do that with the whole fenium bomb thing at special branch
3: i love that moment i love that moment when robbie copter says for ireland as it it just goes rolling down the barrel on
4: fire. Right, and he makes another anti-Irish, oh, uh, after Johnny Depp's third date with Mary Kelly, uh, (laughs) the same scene when we were talking about, um, he says a rose by any other name, I think. Um, He also makes some anti, um, some disparaging comments about her being Irish, right? Um, when, when, he, um, when Johnny Depp suggests that they go to uh, the special branch. And
0: now, see,
5: here's the thing. They didn't explain it. They didn't really even explain the Irish jokes. So they're just there. That's one place where I almost kind of forgive the screenwriters, and I know you don't, but they throw out a couple little winks and nods to people in the know that are going to get those references that 90% of the audience mm-hmm. are.
2: Yeah, those
4: I just think...
5: Those are made for us, not for the rest of the audience.
4: But it wouldn't have taken more than a couple scenes in this movie because they don't spend time... You know, once something happens, it's gone. Yes. Like, you know, I mean, it's like they want to get... This two-hour-long movie, so they have a lot to get through. Um, if they just would have spent a couple scenes suggesting you know, the anti-Catholic uh, sentiment, you know, the, the problem with Irish film rule or whatever, just anything, just to give this movie any just a little bit of more substance. I think they could have kept the basic plot intact. In and if they had better screenwriters, better actors, like if they would have casted someone other than Johnny Depp and Heather Graham, I mean, it could have been a much better movie.
3: Is it's irrelevant though having the whole island thing in? Yeah. Because even though but she is Irish, she's not Irish. It's
5: yeah, and it was irrelevant. Right. But like I said, it was just a wink. It was for people yeah. like you and me to go, "Oh, I get it." Yeah. Not for the whole audience. They, you know, th- that was just a line thrown in there for pe- for nerds like us. But if, it, it
4: the, but it would have helped the the. The villain's motivation a little bit, it, because it's just terrible. It's just muddled and terrible. As to why?
5: Yeah, but those little jokes were just Carol Burnett tugging her ear for us. That's right, but them.
4: I mean, what's the audience supposed to like? A, a non-ripperologist right audience.
5: Them. Where, How they
4: support, would, would they understand no. what what motivated? No. Um sure charles warren and lusk and lord hamsham and the queen victoria and gold to, to do this i mean it doesn't doesn't make any sense no so because the point bad the, the in that part.
0: doesn't make any sense the whole royal conspiracy doesn't make any sense mm-hmm. so trying to make a fictionalized version of it make any sense just <laughs> isn't <laughs> i mean i
3: tries to explain it at one point but
5: You're right, and and, and Steve's 100% right that the Royal Conspiracy doesn't make sense. So we're going to say we forgive them for that, but fuck that because Murder by Decree, the Michael Caine series, uh, Barlow and Watt, all those other things are based on the Royal Conspiracy and are much better. They're much more well-written and much
1: better productions. I think the thing you mentioned Murder by Decree, they... Stumbled a little bit with the conspiracy because you get the whole final denouement of Holmes, sort of laying it all out there, and he's like, "I've got evidence," and slams it all down. But it's just paper in his hands, yeah, because he can't explain the theory because it's bollocks. Mm. Yeah. But I
3: do love that scene, though.
1: Yeah. Oh, it's a fun <laughs> scene. But you've got him. It, you just have to accept what he's my saying. favourite fictional conspiracy. Of all the
0: royal conspiracies, "Murder by Decree" is my favourite.
4: We're going to talk about "Murder by Decree" next. I think that'll be the second uh, movie we tackle on on this series. Um, With
1: this one, you get that odd scene—well, that scene right near the end as well. You have Johnny Depp saying to the Ripper, sort of, "Oh, you ruined your life's work and all of this," and then Gold turning around and saying, "Yes, whatever," and agreeing with him and. Going on about all the the mystical stuff too, but then right near the end, you've got Lord Holsum talking to Queen Victoria and her saying, "I only asked him to deal with the problem. I didn't tell him to go and do all of this." And it's like he says, "He has
3: been loyal in his own way."
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I asked him to take the dog to the vet, but instead he cut its head off. But I suppose it's not not
5: To be fair, her eyes were cold, Mm -hmm. like someone walking over my grave.
4: One of the victims, you know, um, really early on, um, they all collectively realize it seems that they're being hunted, but then they all, you know, blooming idiotly go willingly along with um, their murderer. Um, that
3: just was. Uh, I think that's didn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. At its core, the film is a slasher flick, mm-hmm. and in a slasher flick, even though they know there's a homicidal maniac hunting yeah. down everyone, they still make stupid decisions and go off on their own and all that. It's just it's it's a genre cliche. It's got to happen.
5: Yeah,
1: and I think the have the that...
5: final girl that survives, yeah. just like a slasher flick. Um.
1: Seen that epitomizes the fact that it's a slasher figure, is destroyed to death because what literally happens? He stands up and turns around, and then there's the throat slash,
3: right? Yeah. That's very graphic. Yeah, it's, I think, it's also the best portrayed murder. Um, mm. in the film. Well, Field yard,
4: yeah, the most accurate of a lot of really terrible, mm. inaccurate portrayals. Um, yeah, so, uh yeah, the Duckfield yard murder, it has um, Demchitz um, discovering the body with his pony and card. It has Schwartz being yelled at uh, called Lipsky while he's walking down the street. Um, I want to talk and then we'll, we'll get close to wrapping it up about um, the problem I had with um, Johnny Depp um, and his visions. Um, and because it's confusing again, um to me anyway, the whole movie just confuses the hell out of me um but but so at the beginning of the movie we we discuss how he was able to see into the future, like he predict or he, he he's able to cyclically vision all most of the murders or snippets, the graffito things like every you know the movie throws everything at you that's going to happen in that little vision and then. We get a second vision with um, his, like I said earlier, his only backstory that he was once married and his wife tells him that she's having a baby, right? Is it a dream
3: or a memory?
4: It, I don't know. It's hard to tell. That's why it's so confusing uh, because you don't know what his deal is.
5: That was and, a dream. Then, because the memories, he, the, the visions are all freaky colored and psychedelic. That one was not. So that was just a memory.
4: And then then there's a question of whether he. he it's, it seems that he only that they're hallucin that they're drug induced hallucinations um, but then he after the stride murder he puts his hand against the wall um, next to the murder site and the vision of goal's um, surgical kit flashes in front of his eyes and he's able to piece together more from these visions of the surgeon and the and the, doc, and the amputation knife and things like that, that Goals has something involved. I, I assume he was sober on the job. Maybe he was. Maybe he's freaked out on drugs when he's, like, working the crime scenes or something. Yeah. But to me, it seems like, you know, he was able to put his hand on the wall and get uh, some kind of psychic sense from that that leads him to run off to Goals' place. Um, and then... <laughs> Finally, we have his death scene. Spoilers, um, where after Mary Kelly goes off to her cottage by the sea, which Johnny Depp was able to foretell, um, because he says that to her over their first date dinner conversation. Um, he envisions him her at the cottage by the sea. With what's presumably their children, but then he dies. So that wasn't no. seeing into the future.
2: No, as he was seeing as, her
6: with baby Alice. Yeah, baby. yeah, I <laughs> thought it was the uh, the baby from uh,
5: baby Alice.
1: Yeah, yeah. He says to her, "I say uh, she says about being off by a cottage by the sea with sort of uh, me, a big fat mum, a wife, and a skinny little husband." And he's like, "Yeah, surrounded by th- by dozens of fat little babies, no doubt." And I don't know quite whether he is foreseeing it or whether, I mean, given like you said, he had that possibly had that vision in Duckfield's yard. Maybe he did get a flash of it when she was saying it, but it's, it is confusing because you don't know why he's got these visions. You don't know how they work other than he can make them happen with the absence of Lordham. Yeah,
4: yeah. Godly, uh, uh, um. This is perfectly cool with him having visions. Mm-hmm. I mean, he doesn't see a problem with it at all. You know, he's like, "Oh, oh, oh did well, she look
3: like that well, in your dream?" No. Oh, Godly okay. loves Macbeth, Godly so he's used to the concept. Huh? Godly, Godly loves that, Macbeth, so he's used to the concept of uh, you know visions of people seeing the future and uh, stuff like that. Yeah,
5: it was. He doesn't really find it strange really at
6: all. Yes, although yes. he does uh, point out that uh, people it, like him would have been burned at the stake it, a few hundred it, years before. Detective. Right, he does make the burned
5: at
0: the stake In the thing. World.
5: In the real world. Yeah, it, it was it was poorly done that Johnny Depp and Lee <laughs> mixed into one character, the psychic, but making the psychic detective and somehow, you know, the drugs open his psychic eye unless something is so intense. That's why he was so invested that when he touched the wall, he saw it. It was, I mean, all the psychic visions were all that grainy kind of, non steady cam footage and green
3: and uh,
5: yeah and and really poorly done mm-hmm. uh,
3: yeah, i i I think they look really good, I think they've got like a style to them, and I think they did you see
5: it in the theater no i see that's the difference. I saw it in the theater. Those scenes in the theater on a giant screen are almost vomit inducing.
3: Uh, on TV, it's
5: okay. On a theater screen, it was horrible.
3: Yeah, I was 12 when it was released, so I wouldn't have been allowed to oh, see yeah. it in uh, cinema. <laughs>
4: <laughs> oh, another uh, example of bad uh, screenwriting, um, speaking of his death, because, you know, they do they do a callback to the putting the uh, penny farthings on the eyes or whatever they're doing, you know, because they have to explain that to the audience. Um when he first the first time he does it which i believe is uh, i think
6: it was annie chapman wasn't it yeah, it was annie. yeah it was you chapman. know
4: where he has to explain you know pay, paying paying the 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 ride you know across the river six or whatever the hell it is um, you know johnny depp has to explain that to the audience what i mean i thought putting pennies on that's a fairly common
5: not, not only that, he had to explain it to the one character in the film who seemed to know everything. Godly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. The right. smartest guy in the film had to have it explained. Oh, no, understood that.
4: Yeah, so that was a that was pretty terrible scene. Um, Especially
6: have... since uh, the idea of putting the coins on the eyes was to weigh the eyelids down so they didn't pop open while they were in the casket, as opposed to the Greek tradition of putting coins under
5: the tongue to pay the ferryman.
4: There you go, William.
5: Or the roll of quarters, if you were uh, the hale people.
4: Yeah, so he was wrong, <laughs> in fact, um, as to the reason why they… Yeah, yeah
6: they, they get it completely wrong.
4: Yeah. Always uh, uh, you get out, is the question. <laughs> you what
6: were happened? talking about uh, Johnny Depp's uh, substance abuse and how it led to the psychic visions mm-hmm. and everything. Uh, The substance abuse, they got that largely, I think, from the Michael Caine one Mm -hmm. because he was battling alcoholism during that. But uh, also they were combining uh, Aberline and uh, Robert James Lees, who was the psychic medium for the queen, uh, making them into one character so that he was having psychic visions. Well, how is he gonna have the psychic visions? well, the substance abuse. And they specifically go with, uh, you know, they up the ante from what Michael Caine was doing. Uh, by instead of making alcohol, going into harder drugs. And uh, one of the things about that, if you listen to the director's commentary, the very last thing that one of the Hughes brothers says is, I'm rambling now because I just hit the pipe. Yeah. yeah. So I think they uh, were kind of pushing a message of, you know, drugs are okay. You know, if used in the right way. Yeah,
5: drugs whatever. free the mind, yeah.
4: yeah. And that's in Johnny Depp's career, too. Um, I mean, he had just done Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas a couple of years prior. Um, and then Sleepy... He was in the Tim Burton um, thing, um, which he still is terrible. Um, Sleepy Hollow, that type of... So Johnny Depp's kind of um, image <laughs> that he was going for back then. <laughs> and in the early 2000s was one of, um, you know, this Hunter S Thompson type of, you know, drug fiend creep.
5: There was uh, one thing that I wanted to touch upon in the film. And this is somewhere where you might want to insert a clip because it didn't make sense to me. And I believe it was at Polly Nichols' body. And Godley's standing over it, and Johnny Depp is kneeling beside it, and he turns and looks, and they take a picture. And you actually still see the still image of the photograph taken. Right. Like, that had some kind of historical significance when there is no photo of Aberlin.
4: Yeah, that was I don't weird get thing.
5: that. Why was that there? Can anybody explain to me why? This was in, obviously, like, look how significant and important this is. Click, there's the camera. Mm-hmm. Especially
3: since so the so only so uh, no, time... No. Go ahead. Uh, there's a similar moment in the Chapman murder where someone takes a photo over the wall, um, but there's no still shot there. But it's like almost as if they made a point of it. But yeah, but the, they actually freeze
5: it in the still of Johnny looking directly at the camera, like it means something.
3: Like
4: it's imitating an a, a a truly existing.
6: Photograph. Yeah. 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 But. But the only time that a, a photo was ever taken at the scene was with the uh, Mary Kelly killing. Mm-hmm. Otherwise – And you were do see the, the cameraman
4: – and the, there's a um, cameraman in the room in Miller's court too standing out in the, in the background waiting to take those pictures.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was but pretty –
4: Historically
6: dumb. speaking, that was the only time that a crime scene photo was taken at the Ripper uh, – right. Ripper investigation.
4: Right. Um, so, uh, another thing that, and um, this is something that Brian and I were disagreeing with earlier, but so, I mean, and maybe it's the cynic in me um, of all, all of the bad uh, screenwritings, because I have a hard time buying the idea that they were making inside jokes that only ripperologists would get. I just, I don't know. I don't put, I don't put that much faith or intelligence in the Hughes brothers. I don't know that they
6: necessarily were trying to give a wink and a nod to Ripperologists, but people who had read the book, I can see that.
4: Or what about the Joseph Merrick scene, where the yeah. um, Treves, I assume, character um, introduces, um, I would, ladies and gentlemen, I present to you Joseph Merrick. Oh, oh, oh no, I mean I mean John Merrick. Like, he gets his Joseph Merrick's name correct the first time, but then, but then corrects himself by getting it wrong in the popular, popular way that his name is wrong.
5: Now, I, I love
4: that. I chalked that up because I guess I'm an asshole or something. To <laughs> terrible screenwriting.
5: Well, see, um, it's a given. You're an asshole. We all know that. So we can just... But, but you
4: t- your take on it is that it was an inside joke.
5: My and take on it is only yeah.
4: for those in the know that yes. that jo- Joseph Merrick was historically, for whatever reason, called John Merrick by Trees in Trees book.
6: Yeah, that's the only thing that made sense to me. That's I the only re- That's the only way I, I could I think, uh, understand that scene.
3: I think it's a reference to the to the film of the Elephant Man because he's John yeah. as well, isn't he? Well, you uh, see what I. Uh,
5: I'll defend it because I loved it and it's probably my favorite moment in the entire film. Because Because I
4: looked at it the other way, it was like my least favorite moment in the entire
5: film. I remember sitting in the theater and when it happened going, oh, that joke, I'm the only one here who laughed and that I liked. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) uh, The Elephant Man played a much more prominent role in I wanted to get to that, yeah. What I liked about it is that It wasn't just that they changed his name to John in the plays and the movie. But if you actually look at Treve's handwritten manuscript, it's written Joseph crossed out John over. Right. I thought that was a clever little thing. But to William's point, the main reason I was excited to see the film when it came out was because I'd read the book and I saw the trailer. And in the trailer, they show the unveiling of the elephant man. And one of the most interesting points of the novel was the side story about Gull worshiping the elephant man. And when I saw him in the trail, I'm like, they're going to go with that plot line (laughs) and they dropped the ball. They spent all that money on the makeup for him. And it was really good makeup, full body cast makeup. That was fantastic. And then that's it. Why do that? unless you were going to go with that plot line. Why waste that much of your budget on that makeup?
3: So, yes. according to the director's commentary, again, um, it was another way to demonstrate the double standards and um, of the time, because they're all there gawking at the elephant man, um, all of these high-to-do doctors and donating money because of it, um, and then um, they're, they're comparing it to you know, them with them going slumming in Whitechapel. That's what they were going for, according to the um, production
1: team. No, they're wrong. Uh, I don't think it was. I, th- I think, I think it was think... also a way to sow the seeds of their red herrings, because it's like the, a couple of seeds before you see the hands of the Ripper preparing the grapes and the absinthe with the Lordnum, and he's got a shaky hand and then you get to that scene and the elephant man's unveiled and it cuts back and you see dr farrell being all oh god doesn't he look disgusted that's bloody brilliant and william gold stood there with a look of awe on his face yeah. and then a couple of minutes later they are all signing checks and there's prince albert victor with his shaky hand signing a check now as well Amberline's
3: first vision
1: um, the Elephant
3: Man.
4: The Elephant Man. Yeah. In the streets. And then there also, there's also a scene very early on in the movie with the gull. I think it's in Gull's um, room or whatever, where the paintings on his wall are of people with deformities. Yeah. Like portraits of people with facial deformities and stuff. So you kind of already get the sense that he's into some of the more abnormal, um, you know, medical stuff
5: which is why they should have gone with that plot line from the book because mm-hmm. it was really great. Um, but that's one of the other things I didn't like about when we were comparing historical inaccuracies with accuracies. I love the joke that they make John Joseph. That was great. But then right after that, it shows them that they're at a fundraising festival with all these, you know, black tie tuxedo party, which is not what happened. He was presented to the Patholic, pathological society and donations were gotten through the newspaper mm-hmm. so they totally dropped the ball on the historical accuracy of that and i thought it was ridiculous it was never a black tie affair to come see the elephant man um but going they put him in there and like i said mm-hmm. it must have cost so much money for that makeup to not go with that there's that scene in the book where you know gull is sitting down in his in his rooms with uh, with merrick and it's one of the best scenes in the book um they also had this unique ability that when they would get a brilliant shot and there's a couple shots in the film that are absolutely stunning they managed to screw them up um Mm -hmm. again it's an ian holmes scene the scene where ian holmes envisioning that he's in front of the medical college when he's that doing that and i
6: was going to talk about that too
5: and it looks so good but remember what happens when it ends it goes to that horrible pan up of a matte painting of the skyline and it just destroys the whole image because it's mm-hmm. such a horrible uh follow-up shot
4: yeah there there's a cup there's a couple instances also where the the directors didn't seem to know how to end the scene um, so they just faded to black, and then they'd come out of black coming out of, like, Aberline's um, record player, gramophone horn, or whatever, you know? Insert
6: commercial here.
4: Right. Yeah, exactly. Like, maybe it was set up intentionally for a commercial break.
5: Uh, see, um, that's, um, that's a film technique that David Lynch uses a lot, but David Lynch does it right.
3: <laughs> where you don't notice it. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. So apparently, the according to the director's commentary again, I really shouldn't have watched this. Um, they, um, they they tried to make the the shots on the streets of Whitechapel. They used hand cameras, more rough shots, um, whereas the ones in like the well-to-do places were wider shots with like static cameras mm-hmm. to try and show the difference in the two. Societies, apparently. And you know? that makes
4: sense. And this is something John and I were talking about before the show. And that the, I guess they filmed in Prague. Um, and, it, and it's, but to me, there's an a, a artificiality almost about the outdoor scenes that are supposed to be taking place in the East End, almost like it's on a, the back lot of Universal Studios or something. You know, um, so I don't know, like, how much exterior shots they filmed in Prague. I mean, you can kind of tell some of them and versus what they built on an indoor set. But some of them, especially the ones in front of the Ten Bells, are, look really like they filmed it on an indoor set somewhere, a studio set. And, and as you can tell, uh, or I think I could tell. And that's I'll the contrast it with um, other shows that Are filmed in the East End, uh, or that take place in the East End, like Year of the Rabbit, I think does a really good job. Our American friends might not know this one um, because I don't know if it's played in the United States yet. But um, it's a parody, I guess uh, you would say. Have you seen Year of the Rabbit, uh, John Reese? Or Matthew? I haven't. I need
3: to uh, see it. People keep on telling me I need to watch it. But hey,
4: it's like a it's like a parody of uh, uh, Michael. Came type of a movie. I mean, no. the, the detective Aberline. It's kind of a drunk deal. I don't know. You guys have got to see it. The Elephant Man's in that too.
2: Okay.
4: Um, and or Call the Midwife. I think plays in the United States, even though it takes place in the fifties. They film in um, in Chatham or somewhere where there's docklands, mm. uh, eighty acres worth of Victorian buildings, authentic Victorian mm. buildings and the exterior shots of those two shows and are recognizably East End to us ripperologists. You know Ripper what I'm Street. saying? There's a familiarity that we have with that, that, those kinds of locales and I might be nitpicking um, because most people don't have a clue what the Victorian London looked like or the Victorian East End, but to me Prague it just looked phony, and I, um, a oh, lot so I, of the
5: shots did. Hmm? I, I agree with you, Jonathan. I um, and this is something I didn't think about so much twenty, twenty-five years ago when first seeing the film, but rewatching it, um, it didn't look authentic. At the time, everyone talked about how it was the most authentic looking, but the people, the streets, everything seemed a little
3: bit too clean. Yeah, I agree with that part, yeah.
6: Mm-hmm.
3: I I think that the, the, the street sets, I think they look really good personally. Um you know, I've I wondered about what's left of the Victorian East End, and you know, I I think it is the missing gaps to me. Um but what you say about the people is true. Like Mary Kelly's hair is so sleek and clean, her dress is lovely, you know they wouldn't have been that nice clothes and stuff i think the wardrobe department and the uh hair and makeup department failed there but um no i i, I disagree about the way the sets look the, the outside east end shots i really like them um
1: i mean they. Built i think they look whole- better
6: when shot at night i think the yeah. day shots were uh were uh kind of exposed mm. What it's you know, th- this is clearly a set. This is, uh, I think, some of the sets were built outside so they could use natural sunlight, yeah. but still, they it, it was clear that it was a set. Whereas at night, they could kind of hide some stuff in some shadows.
1: I think they built around a square quarter mile, didn't they? Of like they mm-hmm. built the downstairs of Christchurch and then the and bit of 48th Street with 10 bells and then mm-hmm. areas that could vaguely pass for murder sites but it was just like they said In I found the um, production designers interview on YouTube earlier and he was saying that it's like he laid it all out on paper and then when he went out to see it they were just putting the facades up on these 12, 20 foot tree trunks and they are just facades, there's nothing else yeah. there at all apart from the few areas that needed like the Duckfield yard and the um court part,
6: it but did kind of bother me that that Fields Yard was kind of a narrow alleyway rather than what that Fields Yard actually was. Mm. That kind of yeah,
5: uh, yeah. Like I said, it. I, I don't think it bothered me so much way back then that it does now because of Year of the Rabbit and like Ripper Street and seeing that looks so much more authentic. Right, it made me realize how this one didn't.
6: I actually thought that the Michael Caine miniseries made it look more authentic than From Hell did. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, one of the last things that I was wanting to talk about, uh, as far as the failing of the filmmakers go, uh, there's the scene where Gull is killing Mary Kelly, and he's in her room. And if you're if you had read the book, this scene would make sense, but let's face it, 70 to 80% of the people going to the theater probably did not read the book. And during, uh, some of, during one of the scenes, it f- uh, flashes from uh, Gull being in Mary Kelly's room to being in the medical theater in front of students, and they're standing up applauding him. And if you're just sitting in the theater, you would have no idea where that came from, what they're, talk- what they're trying to portray in that. You just have no idea. If you'd read the book, it would make sense, because that was when Gull was in his hallucination Phase. He would uh, while he was working on the body, he would go in and out of hallucinations. Yeah. Uh, but But uh, they just totally botched that scene. Uh, they just flash him into the medical theater, and you're not gonna. It's it's a very jarring scene. It's kind of threw me completely out of the storytelling whenever I saw that the first time.
5: But it looks great. It really well, it looks does. great. And face I
6: mean, it, is an amazing film. actor. <laughs> was. But, uh, uh, I th- you know, and I think his scenes are the best I think, maybe uh, him and Coltrane.
1: Mm-hmm. I think maybe the Hughes brothers thought they'd set it up enough with, cause they, and I think it's before the Mary Kelly getting when Gold or the Ripper leaves you see um, he comes out the house or just as before he comes out the house there's a, it pans up and there's the, the Hogarth print of the dissection going on in an operating right. theatre right. with the the intestines being thrown over one the shoulder and the that IV being the cut
6: That uh, that's, that's, etching yeah. was also in the book.
1: Yeah, but I think they thought maybe take that from the book and that'll set up what's happening later. People correct Again, uh, you'd have to have
6: read the book to know what that is, though.
2: Hmm.
4: It could have been another instance of just an inside um, joke.
6: Yeah, but uh, why have it so prominently in that scene if you're not yeah. going to
3: explain it? Apparently, it was added in right at the last minute. Um, they were, literally, <laughs> they, they rang the scriptwriter and was like, we need you to do a half a page scene for this. Right. I this think it hour. works.
5: Um, even, even out of context of read- reading the book and knowing what it meant like we do, I think the scene works on a different level too because it kind of shows you that he's delusional. Mm. He's so then delusional, then it, so this it, is what he sees.
4: And then doesn't it transition from that to his being judged in the kangaroo court or whatever by the Freemasons or whatever is going on there? Uh, no, it's a bit later to he gets
3: to
6: sentence to a
4: little after
5: it, that. Is, no, it transitions uh, to get, that horrible man up up in the sky. <sighs> mm.
6: But even out. working – as even if you uh, say that that's leading to him <clears throat> being delusional, you still don't necessarily – you're not going to get that if you haven't read the book. If, yeah. <clears throat>
5: well, then you realize he's hacking people up, so he's pretty fucked up in the head.
6: Well, yeah, but there's, <laughs> oh. there's different degrees of that, so yes. – you know. Just because you you're whacked up. up in the head enough to uh, cut bodies up doesn't mean that you're going to have hallucinations. And uh, how are the people in the audience going to know that him uh, having that vision is a hallucination? I mean, uh, they play it as if it's real.
4: Mm. And so, in the at the end of the movie, um, are we um, not not the not the end like with Mary Kelly's? Uh, uh, scene, but with um, Gull's storyline, um, we're led to believe I think that Queen Victoria kind of planned the whole thing because um, uh, Lord um, Halsham or whatever his name is, you know, she's she's complaining to him. Now, you know, I wanted you to get rid of this problem, but I did not expect Gull to. Go off and do his and fulfill his little experiments, you know, his all his ritualistic stuff, you know. You guys did this wrong, and isn't that kind of what happens? And um, and then Lord Halsim says, oh, 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 "The biggest oh, thing I remember I was well.
6: her saying: I don't want to hear of this matter again." Um, she
4: she was upset because she wanted the problem taken care of, but not like in this way that allowed Gold to go completely nuts.
2: Yeah. I think he
5: wanted take care that of the problem. quietly. Yeah. 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 Take care of the problem. Don't make it headlines for a hundred years.
2: Yeah.
4: Yeah. So then that, then that, so then uh, the Lord Halsham or whatever says, "Yeah, you know, we're taking care of him." You know, meaning goal.
3: Just like when they bumped off Princess Diana. <laughs>
4: mm-hmm. So they get so the, the, so that leads to the Freemason court scene i guess is what is going on there that somehow aberline is able to open the door and look in on and observe you and can, know. I,
3: can i comment on the ridiculousness of the of the freemasonry uh sure Scenes. um so uh disclosure um I, I am on the square um i i am a freemason and i can tell you straight away that you would not have a freemason's temple in a building that does not contain a bar um so this underground secret chamber wouldn't happen you know they'd, they'd have to be a pub uh, attached so but, uh, that was me done
4: and wasn't there something about the shape of the room it's yeah
3: yeah yeah so um freemasonry squares are important so you wouldn't have a circular room everything's going to be like a, on the point of a compass. so you know the room would have to be square um the, the, the ritual um of the initiation, uh, there's accuracies there. There's some stuff wrong, but uh, there, there are accuracies there. Um, what they call him during his kangaroo court trial, um, knight to the whatever, that that's a Scottish Freemasonry thing. So the English Freemasons wouldn't do that. Um, and it
6: bothered me whenever uh, Gull said that he had no peers in the room and the uh, guy leading the kangaroo court said what as if he didn't hear whereas in the book it was an outraged what as in i can't believe what you just said hmm. that kind of bothered me too
4: <laughs> okay we're gonna wrap it up actually yeah, I, think um, I, I think we've discussed it enough Funny, uh, like thank it. you for joining guys um hopefully you can all come back and join us next time and we'll be discussing murder by decree all right
5: good talking to good. all of you thanks All, all right. Nice.
4: There you go. All right.
2: Thanks. I enjoyed it. All right. Bye.
5: All right. Bye.